Welcome to another episode of Cohen's Corner. This week, Elizabeth and I are lucky to be joined by Tyler Ward. Tyler is most known by Mets fans for his YouTube page, Wardy NYM. So Tyler, thank you for being here with us this week. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to get into this one. Yeah, so let's get right into it. So usually what we like to do with most of our guests is start by asking how you became a Mets fan and yeah, what really led to your fandom? Okay, well, uh, this is kind of a stereotypical story um, where, you know, it's kind of all from your father. That's my dad. Uh, I'm originally from Long Island. I don't reside there anymore, um, but my dad's from Queens. Uh, you know, he, he grew up right by Shea, and that's as, you know, all I really have to say on the matter. Um, but my Mets fandom really didn't kind of kick in until, ironically enough, the 2015 season, and it wasn't a bandwagon scenario, and here's why. So I was always kind of a casual baseball fan, but when I was younger, I played. I wasn't really all that into it. I sucked. I was scared I'd always get hit by a pitch. It didn't last long in a nutshell. But then as I started following baseball more and the 2015 season came around, my cousin, who's a who was a bigger Mets fan than I was at the time, said, Tyler, you need to watch the series between the Mets and the Nationals. And this was right in the heart of halfway through the season. I'm like, oh, why is that? He's like, the Mets win the series. They are leading the division for the first time in a while. I'm like, oh, okay. So I watched the series. The Mets win that one and ultimately get the lead in the division for the first time in quite a bit. Then you have Yohannes Cespedes come along, the whole Flores story, everything. It was picture perfect. And yes, I know they fell short in 2015, but that was my true introduction for watching every single Mets game and has not skipped a beat since. Yeah, I feel like I have a pretty similar story, but with the 2006 Mets, that's really, you know, I was a lot younger then, but that was kind of when I first started following the Mets just because there was so much hype around the team at the time. And, you know, like you, I also have a dad who I'm also from Long Island and my dad also grew up in Queens, like really close to Shea Stadium, I think like a mile or a couple of miles away. Yeah, no, I feel like it's easy it's funny how fandom starts that way that a lot of times, you know, it's harder to kind of get into the Mets when it's like 2011 and there's like really nothing good happening. You know what I mean? But then when there's like a really exciting season that kind of sucks you in, that can be very, those first impressions can be very powerful because I still vividly remember all the excitement around the 2006 Mets and, you know, none of those guys are on the team anymore, but I feel like it, like I said, that first impression can resonate very strongly, even in subsequent seasons that aren't as good. And that can, I feel like then fans, if your first season rooting for a team is their best one, then you're kind of always chasing that feeling again until they're good again. You know, I feel like, you know, since 2015 and 2006, those have been the best seasons of my Mets fandom. And, you know, Jake's too, I'm sure, since we're around the same age. But, yeah, it's interesting how that kind of forms. It's not a bandwagon when you become the fan of the team at that time and stick with it for years and years. So I think that that totally makes sense. And it was a really exciting season. So what, what better time to latch on? Yeah, exactly. And it's not like I, I was bandwagon, right? Like, first, you can't bandwagon the Mets. And that's true. The Mets don't have Mets. bandwagon no, fans. No, no we're, one's we're, just hopping on and not and getting off. They're just exactly. not going to hop on. We're, we're all diehards here. I think we can all agree. And plus, I've always been a Mets fan. I was just always a casual until the 2015 season. And luckily, my cousin set at the right time, and that was the perfect series. And, you know, everything changed. I went from being a casual baseball fan overall, that was the stereotype where you really can't get it too into it because it's just the games are so long. I was far and in, more into football at the time too. And, you know, it just luckily everything changed. And I'm, I'm so grateful that it did because I would not be in the position I am right now talking to you guys if it wasn't for that. So everything happens for a reason at the end of the day. So thank God for the 2015 season, right? I mean, Amen. Yeah, exactly. Really brought you along. And yeah, like Elizabeth said, the 2006 season for me too was a very memorable season, even though I was young. But 
I mean, honestly, for the three of us, 2006 and 2015 are the only really two years the Mets have been really good. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about it, I mean, 2016, yeah, they made the playoffs. But in our lifetime, I mean, 2000, but I don't remember that. I was only three in 2000. Yeah, so I, I was born in 2000, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, so 2015 was a good year, but – Obviously, that brought you into being a huge Mets fan and led to you creating your own YouTube channel. So why don't you take us through like why you decided to make a YouTube channel and how it's gone up to this point? Well, it's that is a pretty interesting story, too. So I already had a YouTube channel. I still have one. And that is where I talk about all things NHL. But it's been a lot more uh, based around the New York Rangers because I'm a Rangers fan. I'm sorry to all the Islanders fans probably listening to this. Please don't get offended. It's okay. It's We're okay. fine. Oh, uh, the Islanders have a 3 nothing lead on the Rangers as we speak. I think Oh, it's really? Okay. All right. Yes, I got to tune in after we're done here. Okay. But yeah, anyway, so I've had, I had my channel up until that point for about a year and I'm very passionate about hockey, but I'm just as passionate, if not more about baseball, because I love the baseball season. There's nothing like it. 162 games. There's literally no time to even try to get stressed out for long term because outside of one off day, Ben, you're right back in the swing of things. Like, when the all-star break is your biggest gripe of the season, that's a good thing. Oh, it's you just so long every year. Baseball. And I love that. I really do. And so my thought process was I would love, and I mean love to cover the Mets, but I would not even consider the idea until the Wolpons were out as owners. Luckily, this guy named Steve Cohen came around and bought the team last fall. And then that that was that was the starting point. I was like, okay, now we're gonna get into this thing. And luckily I already had a year under my belt under YouTube. I kind of knew how I want to approach everything. So it wasn't as much of an adjustment as it would be for the average person. And everything's just been sailing since then. So thank you, Uncle Stevie Cohen, for making this all possible. Because again, like the 2015 season, also like Steve Cohen, if it wasn't for him, I would not be here. In I this mean, position. look at our podcast name. We're Cohen's Corner. I mean, exactly. what would we be named? Like, <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. Seriously. What do you say we, we get into the struggles that have been facing the team lately? And that is obviously the offense when you take into account that they played the Red Sox and they're pitching as a whole, they give up what three runs in two games and they lost both of them. And the first <laughs> game, the only reason they scored is because Jeff McNeil hit a solo home run. Other than that, no offense. The night DeGrom pitches, no offense whatsoever. The approach looks horrible. Nimmo's swinging at stuff. I don't know what he's doing. Lindor's swinging stuff over his head. He's getting booed. The offense is just a mess right now. And honestly, I said this to somebody today. I'm not worried I'm just frustrated because I know the offense is going to come around with the guys we have and the track record. So I'm, if this was Memorial Day, yes, I'd be worried. But right now, honestly, it's I'm just really frustrated. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And it's funny um, because I've been talking about uh, the past couple of Mets losses as I was doing my live streams commenting throughout both the past two games and even post-game coverage. And I feel like I've talked about this a million times already. It's only been 48 hours. It's insane. But you're right. It has been frustrating. And there's reasons for those frustrations. And the offense is one of those things where I think a lot of a lot of Mets fans, including myself to an extent, but I kind of realized quickly that what that wasn't going to be the case after a stellar offseason. Everything looked right. OK, we're going to be flying soaring right into the year. But no, we don't even get the normal opening day series against the Nationals. I was actually supposed to be in that series, too because my brother won last-minute tickets to the opening day in D.C. just for it to be postponed because of their COVID outbreak. And then their first series is in Philly. I go to those three games, they lose both. The offense has just been slow. That's that's the biggest thing. And when you have seven games postponed into a season because of not just COVID, not just rain, but because of snow, because of course, right, um, you're bound to not be in a rhythm right away. And that's been evident with this Mets club. If you want to get into particulars about the players, uh, Francisco Lindor, 
Uh, don't get me started on this guy being booed. I've already addressed this plenty. I mean, it's beyond frustrating in my mind because you're not even 20 games in roughly of 11 years of more than likely having him on this club and you're already booing him in the stand. We were booing Conforto like four or five games in the season. Give me a damn break, honestly. Like this is something where I get the frustrations and I get the emotions are high, especially when you have a couple of brews in you when you're actually at the game feeling a little loose. I get it, perfectly understandable. But to boo Lindor and to think that that is going to be a positive impact in any shape or form is the silliest thing in my mind. It, especially when your team's down and struggling offensively, which is what the Mets currently are. They are just not hit. Get, one, they're not getting any luck whatsoever. They are, when you look at the numbers, they are clearly one of, if not the unluckiest team in baseball right now. The analytics will back it from how their hard hit rate is and just how everything has been with now the dead and ball. But now when you have them not doing well, the last thing you want to do is boo them. Try to support them early in the season. Try to get them out of this slump by actually backing them while they're at their lows. If you boo them, it's not going to impact them anything positively. It's only going to maybe give them a chip on their shoulder. And then if you want to throw out the argument about Lindor that, oh, he's on this $340-plus million contract, you know, the boo shouldn't bother him. I agree, but if they won't bother him, then why even boo him in the first place? You're just making yourself look even more silly. So that's my stance on that. Um, and the biggest frustration here is two more things. One, it's every single series the Mets have played this far, they've had the upper hand when it comes to the rotation, and they have not jumped on the pitchers that they have faced. Matt Moore, the guy's pitching in Japan last year. He looks like the second coming of Cy Young. Then you have Trevor Williams, Zach Davies. The list goes on and on. And now this recent Red Sox series, Garrett Richards, former Philly, Nick Pavetta. Like, are you joking? These guys getting scoreless innings on us, and they're making it look easy. And the other biggest gripe, too, is it's not like the Mets lineup right now is, you say, have, oh, I don't know, six or seven out of the nine that are kind of in a rhythm, and then you have a couple oddballs out. And maybe those oddballs are the Pete Alonzo's or the Lindor's still, but it's not too big of a worry. It's just frustrating. No, it's the Mets basically their entire lineup. Except Jacob often, DeGrom. He's exactly, the only one hitting. Exactly. Jake didn't get a hit last night at the time recording this. And bam, that ends up giving us the loss. Like the guy had a 500 average and we he, actually need him to be clutch. He did beat out a double play though, which I was really yeah, impressed by. Yeah, and I, was, I, I saw him hit that ball. I was like, he's going to beat this out. Like, you know, yeah. he's like hustling down the line trying to like steal second, third and home the next time he can. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I actually said this on another podcast this week, but I feel like booing a player like Lindor who plays with so much heart, enthusiasm and natural baseball instincts like he does. It's one thing if the, if you feel like a player is just really lackadaisical or, you know, did something just like bonehead play on the field or just something stupid to the other team. But you know, Lindor was not that player. He's, he's putting his heart into everything. Like, Let's just give him a chance because, like you said, he's on this 11-year contract. We're going to have him for a long time. So we may as well at least try to make a good first impression as fans in the stands. And, you know, another thing that's interesting, I think, about the people booing him is that I also think that because there's not that many fans in the stands, I feel like the people at the games are, like, the diehard fans who really want to be loud. And they're not just there to sit and be on their phone the whole time. I, I you know, I could be wrong. But, A, there's fewer fans in the stands. So – you're going to hear more people individually on TV. I don't even think it's that many people booing him. I think I, I, I said this on another no, there podcast. Was a lot. I was, I was there. There was a lot of people booing him. 
It, yeah, it but was a like, lot, meaning was, like a few, a couple hundred. No, but like, that's not that many no, in the grand like scheme of baseball. It was probably, scene. it was at least half the crowd booing him the other night. I, I really, I uh, mean, I guess you were there. I'm telling so. you, I was there. I, I heard it. It was at, it was yeah, at least yeah, half. There was one at bat that sounded louder. You could hear him if you could hear him that loud on the TV. And there's only there was less than eight thousand people there the other night. The first night he got booed and it was that loud. You got a few thousand at least booing him. It didn't sound that loud on TV though. I'll be honest. So I guess you were there, so you would know more what it sounded like in person. You know, I just feel like. Yeah, it's frustrating because he's not a player to me that needs a kick in the butt in terms of like uh-huh. playing the right way. He's not mm-hmm. at all. So, so that it makes me like a little bit sad. I, I really, I mean, he's gonna have to pick it up eventually because he's not a two hundred hitter in his career. So, we just yeah, gotta give him to a mention, little time. He's been playing great in the field. Like that, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Rocks in the field. Like for example, the double play he turned the other day. He caught that liner, dove for the bag. I mean. I don't see a Rosario really making that play, and just some, just so yeah. All that I know, he had that one rough play in Chicago, but other than that, I mean, Lindor's been as good as advertised in the field, and his smile has been as good as advertised. It's just the bat, the bat hasn't come around. And like, it's that's the thing. Every, no one's hitting. It's not just Lindor. No one is the, hitting. That's the problem because I think if the Mets were winning as a whole, and the rest of the lineup, like Tyler said, if the rest of the lineup were hitting, if there were six guys hitting well. And Lindor was slumping. Yeah, there'd be people on him. But if the Mets weren't losing games and like he wasn't coming up in some clutch spots and making outs, I don't think he would be getting booed if the team was playing better. You know, because fans. That's true. Better. Winning cures everything. But it's the That's always the case. Because it's not just him. Like the whole team is off to such a slow start offensively. Besides, I mean, Nimmo's cooled off. But besides, really, him and JD Davis, there hasn't been a hitter that's really gotten off to a hot start at all. Dom Smith's hitting under 230. Alonzo's swinging at slider after slider away from him. I don't know what is wrong with him. But, I mean, it's it's the whole team. It's it's not just Lindor. So, if it was just Lindor, I really don't think he would be getting booed or this treatment like he is. But, I mean, the whole team offensively, to put it honestly, they've sucked. Yeah. yeah. It sucks that we have to be that blunt. But it's true. And Am I worried? No. And I going right back to how this conversation started, we're frustrated. And I get that. Trust me, I do. And you're going to see people more frustrated than others that say can't handle their emotions because that's how much they ride on this club. I get that too. This team is all I have. Outside my other sports teams, I'm as much of a sports buff as you will ever meet. Perfectly understand it. But when you have Francisco Lindor, let's not forget about who exactly this guy is, why he signed that $341 million contract to be the highest paid shortstop in baseball, He's kind of arguably the best shortstop in baseball, all right? Even if he does have, say, a so-so bat for some of his years with, with the Mets, which wouldn't surprise me if he's kind of an up and down. You will always have that defense. You have a multi-goal glover right there. And you have a guy that with the bat, yeah, will be batting upwards of a 270-plus average with upwards of 30-plus home runs even, 25 to 35 even. He can even push 40 if he wants to. Maybe we'll see that at some point once he's adjusted to the NL my guess is maybe a year or two ended things, but he will get the RBIs and he can steal bags. He is the jack of all trades, but on top of all that, he is the best poster boy one organization could have for the club. He has a personality and he knows how to lead more than anything. Since he has come into the MLB, he has been one of the most infectious guys out there, but he will not be afraid to tell you how it is. He will not also refrain from helping your game. Take a look at what he has done with this team. You're seeing Marcus Stroman looking back at him and he's literally giving this, uh, the notion to throw to go for a fastball for the strikeout, like with their own little cues. Like every single time there's a huddle and doors, the first guy in there, when you get off the field, he's the last guy on the field. And then when you look at back in spring, when JD was trying to get help with his defense, because we know that's been a controversial thing with him on third base, he sought to go at 
uh, Mr. Lindor because he's the best guy in that infield. What did Lindor do? He's on the sideline looking like a coach early in practice before any spring game or anything, helping him out. Like that is just uh, one of numerous examples of how pivotal Francisco Lindor is to this club, not just from a player perspective, but from a leadership and a personality perspective. There is no doubt in my mind he will be the next captain for this club since David Wright. And uh, people are not ready for just how impactful Francisco Lindor will be for this team. And trust me, one that all starts to kick in, everyone that even thought of the idea of booming this man's name will eat their words very quick. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they'll definitely eat their words. And I mean, obviously those fans will cheer him when he does well. And I mean, yeah, I, I've never been one to boo a player. I mean, honestly, I booed the team yesterday. I was there just the team as a whole because their offense is just horrible and we're going there and they, they can't do anything. Like you said, they're making Garrett Richards and Nick Pavetta look like the next coming. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're making them look like they're going to win the Cy Young. Both of them are journeyman pitchers at best. So, I mean, that, that's the most frustrating part. It's not like, it's not like even the Red Sox were throwing two of their top starters. Like if Chris Sale was back and he's throwing, okay, we don't, we yeah, don't there's an argument Sale. or Max Scherzer, you know, we didn't even face point, him. Chris Sale could come and throw with his right arm because he can't use his left right now and probably shut us down. That's how bad we are. But I mean, and the other frustrating part is with all this talk about how bad the offense is, I know DeGrom got his shine last week when he had the 15 strikeouts but he was brilliant again the other night. Like he was great. I mean, he said he felt a little off, but a little off for Jacob DeGrom was six innings, one run, nine strikeouts. Like I'll take that any day of the week. Exactly. The Mets should be winning these games. And obviously for years now, he's been getting asked the question, Oh, what do you think of the lack of offense? What do you think? And every time he gives the best answer he can, they're competing. Like, what is he, what do they expect him to say? Do they expect They're trying? I feel like mates under the bus. Cause he's not going to do that and create headlines. That's not him. Like you never hear from him when he's away from the stadium. You don't hear a peep. You see him put his work in on the field and that's it. He's not the guy that's going to think that right. he's going to throw his guys under the bus and use that as motivation or whatever he's doing. Like, and you could tell he's getting frustrated. He even said, Oh, these questions. Like, and I feel bad for the dude that he's not getting this run support. And he's got to be asked about it every time. How about you ask, how did it feel to strike out nine guys? How did it feel to strike out 15? How did it feel to be the best pitcher in the entire world? You know, like though it's always focusing on the negative and I get it. They lost, they've been losing, but we've really got to appreciate how great Jacob deGrom is. And it's a shame that the offensive woes we've been having lately are kind of overshadowing how great Jake is and just how fun he is to watch. Like seeing him in person last night, I was sitting in the uppers behind home plate, but still having that view of him and just seeing how nasty his stuff is and the confidence he has on the mound, even when he thinks he was so, so in his performance, like he's just otherworldly. And I just think he needs to be appreciated more. Yeah. I like what you said too. It, I texted my parents today. I was like, there's nothing sadder than watching a post-game interview of Jacob deGrom after a one, nothing loss blame himself and this it happens every time because I, you know, I watch these interviews because it's Jacob deGrom and you see, you see them asking him about his start and then he'll always be like, oh, you know, I didn't execute those pitches in the sixth inning or in the second inning it was when he gave up the two doubles and he just like looks so sad and like frustrated. I'm like, it's okay. You're allowed to give up a run. Like you don't have to throw, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's frustrating because you're right. Like he obviously, I mean, he's obviously a perfectionist. He knows he can be and is like the best pitcher in the world. And with the mindset, the mental toughness that's gotten him to this state where every pitcher around the league wants to be him is what is causing him to cr- criticize himself after these starts because he knows, he knows he can be perfect. And I think he really believes that he can like strike everyone out. And, ha- and that's why – Another thing that I tweeted yesterday during the game, one of my like favorite things about him, which is it's kind of a, I guess, frustrating thing too, is like you'll see him strike out the side or like get everyone out in order, and then he'll walk off the mound looking like a little bit disappointed. And I'm like, 
that's like, you don't see that with very many pitchers when they, you know, strike out someone. He struck out someone with 101 mile an hour fastball in the first inning yesterday. Got him out one, two, three on like 10 pitches. And he walks off the mound and I, he's always done this. He'll like shake his head a little bit and looks a little bit disappointed. And I'm like, cause he knows he could have struck out all three guys or he knows he could have thrown like an immaculate inning. So I just, that competitiveness that allows him to be so good is also what I think fuels his energy in these interviews where he's clearly, you know, thinking back to like those two pitches, whatever in the second inning. I mean, think one other thing too, I noticed think back to like when he won the Cy Young in 2019. He had, a po- he had an interview on, like, SNY after he won the Cy Young, and they were asking him, like, about his season. And what's, like, the one thing he focused on was his three bad starts in April. I don't know if you guys remember this, because he talked about it for, like, two minutes, and he's like, you know, I guess just thinking the race wouldn't have been as close if he didn't have those three bad starts in April. And I was like, you just won the Cy Young. Like, <laughs> I, I can't believe you're even thinking about this. But you know what? He knows that he could have had, like, an under two ERA or whatever if not for those three starts. So just another thing that, you know – not only that I love about DeGrom, but that makes him so good is that he knows he can be like perfect every time out. And it's just, obviously that's like impossible for any pitcher to achieve, but he really believes when he steps on the mound that he can like get everyone out. And so I think that I, I really think that he's not, like you said, Jake, he's never going to throw his teammates under the bus in public. He will never do that. Like, no, like that's not, not going like, to happen. That's not him. And they've been trying, they've been trying to get these questions out of him forever. Like he's not going to start drama and give it a rest. They didn't score any runs. What do you want him to say? Ask him about pitching. He can't control the offense. Like, right. And he, and that's the no. thing he always says, he always says too, like, I control what I can control, you know, and his job is to like put up zeros or as close to zeros as he possibly can. So yeah, you know, clearly I've watched like enough interviews to know basically all the things he says during all these two to one or one, nothing losses that I'm just like, Ugh. Like, yeah. I wish he didn't have to like st- sit up there. Why don't we like not even interview him and just interview the lineup? You know, like let's see what the hitters had to say who didn't score any runs. But oh well. Hopefully his next post game interview is like a little bit more celebratory, where he doesn't have to grind his own gears about giving up one run. That's all I want. Yeah, it's repetition with Jake. But I think what we all need to realize is, you know, and we do for the most part, but we are witnessing greatness. We are spoiled. Once Jake is no longer with this club, whether that is because of something happening as his career goes on or that, you know, once he's just retired, we're never going to see something like Jacob DeGrom again, no matter how good a pitcher's come in. He will always be himself. He's a one-on-one. He really is to go. And he has such a Michael Jordan type mentality, which is what I also love about him that you're lo- that you're alluding to. It doesn't matter that he just put up, you know, say a shutout performance or whatever. But if he gave up one hit, God forbid, he's literally like, or, or even a hard hit done. foul ball. Like I've oh even seen God. that in innings. He gives up like one screaming liner into like the right field seats and then struck the guy out and then like looked disappointed. I'm like, it's okay. Like, but also, you know, clearly I don't have that same competitive attitude. I would be fine with the strikeout if I were him. But... And, and and that's why he is where he is. And today. MLB you know he would not be a two-time Cy Young award winner really could have been three times this short season and will not surprise me whatsoever if he wins it again this year as he's been a late bloomer his career with so many less innings on his arm than a normal guy because he was a shortstop back in college like he's so fresh even though he is at the age of 33 now but his mentality's composure is second to none and the rest of the MLB just can't compete with that you know I that's what I love most about him deserves runs this guy should be getting 20 plus wins every single damn season and now we're just lucky now if he even gets 10 but I will say I am grateful at least that it has been proven that you do not need a certain amount of wins in order to win a Cy Young he destroyed destroyed the pitcher win statistic Felix he 
Felix Hernandez walked so Jacob deGrom could run in terms of destroying pitcher wins. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He has changed that narrative tenfold. And that's something that should not be the case. Um, I'm not even going to get into the specifics on Jake and the lack of run support. It disgusts me. Maybe I'll do it as a video one day just to really shove it up in the Mets' face. Maybe a player will see it and really kind of get a spark under them, make sure that they step up because – Otherwise, it's just – it's a thing of the past. I hope it changes. I do believe it will, and I think that's a good segue now for anything else we talk about here because this Mets lineup is poised for greatness sooner than later. When you look at them on paper, there is not one time where I haven't felt that this is by far the best team Jake has ever been around in his career. We go back to 2015, as awesome as that run was, that team doesn't even sniff the potential that this team has once they are clicking on all cylinders. You know, the Mets rode a lot of luck in 2015, including Daniel Murphy being the second coming to, I don't even know, but just otherworldly, truly. But we haven't seen a lineup like this for the Mets now. This lineup has the potential to be better than 2006, in my opinion, and really has potential to grow into something that we have simply never seen within the organization better than 86 in a lot of ways. Like that is how optimistic and how much potential I feel that this team has not necessarily now, but within the next coming years, as they continue to grow with this core group, it's a real deal. So I'm not comparing them to 86 and 06 just yet, but I'm saying give it this season, a couple more seasons too. They're destined for greatness. It's just, I know it's hard to be patient, but again, if you're a baseball fan, if you can endure watching three, four hours on every given day of baseball, I think you can be a little patient for waiting for the Mets to actually become something great. It'll happen. Yeah, I agree with you. It'll happen. It'll happen, but it needs to happen soon. But yeah, <laughs> this team definitely, yeah, this is the best lineup they've had in a long time. And the 2015 team, that was really like lightning in a bottle. Like you said, Murphy went on that run. He was gr- good, obviously, in that playoff run in the World Series. Murphy's defense was horrible and he fell off the face of the earth. But Cespedes had that huge run. What do you have, 17, 18 home runs after we traded for him? You know what I mean? So there were so many factors that went into that team being good that you didn't necessarily see in the beginning of the season. But now, like, with this team, like, you see it. There's sustainable, like, success on the horizon. At least it would appear so. Because with the talent they have, with Lindor, and we haven't had a superstar of his caliber and I don't know how long, if ever. And Alonzo rakes. We all already know what Alonzo is. He's the only one hitting for power this year. I mean, he hasn't been amazing at the plate, but he's at least shown the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And Yeah, nobody else is doing bombs. Yeah, it's like, you know, people often criticize the home run or bust mentality, but the Mets aren't even hitting home runs. So it's like, if they were, and that's all they were doing, that's no, one thing. Not. But I think, I think Alonzo is the only one. Is he, he like four, the only right? one on the team with four. multiple home runs? I don't even yeah, know who else has yeah, more I know. than JD one. JD has two, I think. Oh, JD has two. JD, okay. Yeah, JD. So maybe right. just those two. But yeah, so I mean, they're not clicking on any cylinders right now. And, but yeah, this team should be great. Like this lineup should be great. And that's the frustrating part. Like we keep the theme of this episode is just that the Mets are frustrating, honestly, because this lineup just should be so much better than they are. And they will be, but I'm not ready to compare them to 86 or 2006 yet. Let me see something first. Yeah. But, I don't know. I, w- I, I definitely they, want to see evidence. Chance. They have a chance to be one of the best teams in baseball. And I, it would be a huge disappointment if we didn't win the division, especially with the way the division is shaping out to be so far. Again, it's early. It's very early. Let's yeah. that. It's very Don't early. forget 19 and 31. Nationals fans will never forget it. Yeah. And, and I know that's I the thing. It's early. Here's the thing. We won't forget about that more than anything. Cause if it wasn't for the Nats and Kirk Suzuki coming back in that ninth, Oh my, they would not have won that world series. I really don't think that they would have no. that in my no. mind was their turning point. I almost went to that game. I'm so glad I didn't. 
Yeah, yeah, I was like this close <laughs> to being able to go, and then I, I wasn't able to at the last minute. But yeah. I, couldn't, I watched I it though. About that game, oh my! What were they up six going? Into they the were up game? seven to one, I think. Oh my! God. In the ninth, yeah, was and that was a Degrom start too. That was Degrom. Oh, can we talk about that too? How good Diaz has looked. I mean, besides getting the loss in Money. Chicago, which I don't really put on him because he had to pitch two innings. He's looked awesome. The whole bullpen has actually looked great. The bullpens look great. Miguel Castro. Oh, I love Castro. He's been Castro's awesome. my guy. Familia's even looked like okay, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think. I mean, and they're just going to get stronger when Luger. Trevor May has looked really uh, good. He's, and better, he's gotten better every every appearance, I feel better, like. But Edwin Diaz, man, I mean, I know I've hated on him a lot in the past, and rightfully so. But he's – I mean, even last year, I mean, he got off to, what, a little bit of rocky start to give up that home run in the second game of the season to Marcelo Zuna with two strikes, two outs that kind of sent them on a little downward spin for a little bit. But then the rest of the year last year, he was great. And this year so far, he's been amazing. Yeah, his command has really been on point. And, like, that's that's the thing. If he can – if he can get pit, if he can throw his pitches like where they're supposed to be, he will be very effective. Yeah, not and, right yeah. down the middle where it's getting crushed. <laughs> right and wider, right over the heart of the plate. He's not doing that anymore. Right. Yeah. No, that's been really impressive. It, it almost feels like those really good pitching performances have been wasted so far. You know, I feel like as Mets fans, we're always used to expecting jinxes. So now I'm I'm almost like worried that once the offense starts to click, the pitching's going to go down because I feel like the Mets can just never put it all together at once. You know, the, right now the pitching's looking really good, and obviously they're not hitting. So they're hopefully, wasting, they're wasting ho- that's the thing. So hopefully, once they can start hitting, the pitching won't just like magically go away. I really hope it doesn't. I don't think it will, but you just never know. Bullpens are fickle. Pitchers can be fickle in general. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, positives so far have definitely been the starting rotation, aside from a couple of rough starts in Chicago, has largely been excellent. And yeah, the bullpen, I mean, up and down those top relievers all have like ERAs under three so far. I know it's hard to say reliever ERAs, especially after only a few appearances, but I've, I've definitely been impressed. And but that makes it even more frustrating that right. knows what kind of pitch, I mean, the rotation winnable games better, have been lost so far. The thing, like with the, um, with the great pitching they've gotten, it would have been awesome for them to jump out to a huge start here, you know, because who knows what kind of pitching you're going to get the rest of the season. But when you're only giving up, three runs in two games and you don't win either of those games. I mean, that's bad. And I mean, Peterson, yes, I love David Peterson and I think he's going to be really good, but like when he's, he's giving you a start, like he gave you the other night, giving up two runs to the Red Sox. I mean, you got to win that game. Your fifth starter right now is going that deep, giving you two, giving up two runs and the pitching performances you've gotten and that you've just completely wasted, even other than just Jake, like the starts and the way the bullpen's pitched. I mean, yeah, hopefully when the offense turns it around, the pitching will still be doing well, but that makes it even more frustrating that it's not like we're getting outscored by a ton. Like they're close. Games. They're losing they're like one run games. There've only been like two, three, four games that you could say, all right, they're not going to win that one. They just got blown out and it wasn't close, but the rest of them like really close. And I just feel like that adds to the level of frustration. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, talk about um, golden opportunities wasted. That's been the story to start the season. And that, went back to how I originally stayed, how when you don't jump on these pitchers, the opportunities, and on top of that all, you have the pitching backing you up. One of the biggest worries going into the season with Cookie Carrasco, don't add what injury, he'll be back hopefully sooner than later in May. Seth Lugo out um, when he are hurt, and Thor won't be back till June, as we know. There are a lot of uncertainties with the rotation to an extent. They have the depth, but it's like, okay, how well was David going to do? How well is Joey Fuego, Joey Lucchese going to do? And that while he has been great, the Mets have had a really solid rotation. It's currently ranked second in baseball, if my memory is correct. And their bullpen has been one of the best in baseball, too. And that has been by far the biggest gripe going into the year. 
How would Edwin Diaz look? How would Familia look? Even Castro. And Castro, I'm so glad he's thriving because he was my dark horse pick going into the year. I thought he will be the best reliever for the Mets SI Diaz. And so far, that's only true. The guy, he can hit 100-plus on the fastball, six foot seven as he should using his size. But now he has the commanding slider, but the changeup. The changeup has been the big thing for him. That has really helped him out a lot, having diversity in his pitches. But then you have guys like Aaron Loop getting serviceable innings in there. Same thing with May, who has gone better every single out. Robert Gazelman, man. I, Thank you. He's been, Gazelman has been better than expected. He hasn't been he, terrible. He hasn't I'll been be terrible. And we're overlooking the fact that he pitched three scoreless innings in the blowout game for the Mets the other night. So you have to take that into account too, okay? I get it that the Mets are not going to necessarily um, be highlighted in their losses, but give credit where credit's due. That was a big stance to me because when the Mets do have their blowout losses here or there, or when they're down by a bunch and say your starter's out in only three, four innings, you need a guy to eat those innings. And when Lugo is definitely not in the pitcher right now, um, you need a guy like Gazelman, and he was able to do that. If there's any outing for Gazelman to thrive, that was the perfect outing for him. I'm happy he did. But then you go on further, Jerice Familia, as much as a hard attack as he is, I can't complain too much about him. He's been around a two-year array or just below as now. And Sugar Diaz, man, Pump out those trumpets. He has not been bad since 2019. I love his walkout song. I yeah, fire. Everyone it loves his so walkout hyped. song. Oh, it's awesome. It, it really, it really, it fires me up. But it's funny how much a narrative can change with him. And look, relievers are funny. I always compare them to a roller coaster. They'll have a five-year array, then a two-year array. Five, two. But consistently kind of back and forth, depending on if it's an even or an odd year. I don't know why that is, but it's a constant trend with a lot of relievers in baseball. And I won't be surprised if Diaz kind of falls in that category. But he has the command, the sliders there, the fastballs there. All that matters is that he is, one, having confidence because that's a huge part. But, two, making sure that he's not throwing those things belt high. So far, so good, man. Um, Diaz, I could see him easily having 40, 45-plus saves on the season and be one of the best relievers in baseball. So hoping that continues. But the Mets need to start capitalizing on this sooner than later because inevitably what will happen for us Mets fans is once the offense gets going and they're in a rhythm, the pitching will not. You know, we need this all in unison. They want to go anywhere this year. If they want to toy with the idea of winning the division, let alone having a deep playoff run, everything needs to kind of be afloat at the same time. You can't have one polar opposite than the other. You're not going to get anywhere then. No, you're right. right. One thing I do quickly want to acknowledge when we were talking about the Mets bullpen is that I have to say I was like a little bit sad about Jerry Blevins retiring. I know that he didn't have like yeah. a great chance to make the team this year, but I feel like he's just such a fan favorite. He had he a really nice tribute on the, I think one of the only positives from the game other than DeGrom actually pitching was the tribute they gave him like during the yeah, game when so he, nice. he was there with his family. That was like really cute. So I just wanted to say, you know, Jerry Blevins, a great Met and hopefully he sticks around the franchise for years to come. Obviously he's, he's done like really fun work on SNY so far. So just wanted to I mention, I kind of thought that he like might get a shot in the bullpen this year at some point. Obviously that's not going to happen. So you never know. Maybe he would have had a chance to get some guys out, but like, like we've said, it doesn't seem like they would have really needed him so far. So maybe that's what he also observed as well. So yeah, I was like, I thought he might get like one last chance to get an ovation from the crowd as a pitcher, but he kind of got an ovation when he was at the game yesterday. So that must've been nice for him. Yeah, he's he, he's he's up there, and to, and to just wrap up this part, I just want to say too. Yeah, 
I, I didn't think Jerry would make the uh, bullpen out of the gate. I thought he'd have a chance at some point, though. I love the story that he was like, I wouldn't be coming back unless it was the Mets. And he was already like an analyst for them. I was like, this is awesome. Um, so would I prefer Jerry Blevins over Daniel Zamora just for a guy with some nice off-speed stuff from the lefty? Yes, I would. But look, Jerry, his time's done. And it looks like he'll stay with the Mets in some shape or form for a bit. And I'm excited for what the future holds for him. So wish him all the best in retirement. Yeah, all the best to Jerry Blevins. He was a great Met for the short time he was a Met, and it was a lot of fun to watch. But, yeah, so like I said, the theme of today's episode seemed to be that uh, we don't appreciate Jake DeGrom enough. and that I mean, Mets I do, but just, other people are. Right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in general, I mean, it seems like they did, Mets fans don't and baseball fans don't. But, I mean, and the offense has been struggling, and hopefully they'll turn around. But, Tyler, we can't thank you enough for coming on with us this week. This was so much fun, and love for you to uh, share where our listeners can find you on social media and wherever. Yeah, well, again, thank you so much, Jake and Elizabeth. This was a lot of fun. I hope to do something with you guys soon. I'll gladly have you guys come on my channel too. either talk in-game or post-game. That'd be a lot of fun. More Mets fans, the merrier. Love what you guys are doing. Wishing you guys continued success. But for anyone that's new that doesn't know me, you guys can find me if you want to find me on Twitter. It's WardyNYM. Um, if you want to find me on YouTube for Mets coverage, obviously, I don't think so much hockey. It's going to be at WardyNYM also. We're currently the fastest and largest growing channel on YouTube regarding the New York Mets. So if you haven't checked me out already, highly suggest you do. We're doing a lot of great things there and we're just getting started. So again, I appreciate you guys immensely for having me on. And I'm really, really looking forward to what this season entails. Hopefully a lot more positives and negatives like we talked about in this episode. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Cohen's Corner Pod, Elizabeth at NYMFan97, and myself at Giblin underscore Jake. So we look forward to... Here, uh, talking to you guys soon and um, yeah let's go Mets